Well, good morning, Village Church East. Good to see you this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. It's my privilege to open God's Word with you this morning and continue our study uh, in uh, in uh, the life of Jesus, basically. Yeah, if you have little ones that you'd like to send out, now's the time to send them. They can go to the right to the back doors, and somebody there will take them, and uh, they'll do actually the same lesson, but in a, in a kiddie setting. And uh, we love to be able to to do that. Let me give you just one thing before we dive in this morning. First of all, well, yeah, this is a big thing. Um, After the service today, we are going to have a short family chat. Now, if you're used to family chats, uh, that's kind of what we do just to bring everybody up to speed at the same time, maybe some uh, stuff that we need to talk about. And we are going to have a short family chat. That's why we're kind of trimming the service down a little bit because we don't want to bleed into your uh, your Mother's Day celebration. So uh, if you can stay, I'd love for you to stay. We're going to talk a little bit about what it's going to look like for us to join with Fellowship Church over the summer. And so I'm going to give you some of the details on that. As you know, they took a vote last Sunday, and the vote was positive that we would be over with them through the summer. I'm going to give you some details as to what that is actually going to look like. So if you can stick around for, for that time, we would love for you to do so. We are not going to stream that. Uh, so if you're at home and you're going to miss it. All right. But if you're here, you're going to get it. So good for you. Good for you for being here. All right. I want to talk to you today about one of the most popular phrases in the Bible. There are a lot of popular phrases in the Bible, several of which uh, I have no idea what they mean. And I feel comfortable telling you that as a pastor who's supposed to know the Bible. Uh, some of them, might, you know, you could dig and find out what they mean. But from first glance, they look kind of kind of odd. Like one of my favorite sayings is that everyone sat under their own fig tree. Now, it's a great phrase, right? It sounds, sounds happy. It sounds great. But I'm kind of wondering, should I have a fig tree in my backyard? Uh, Maria would say yes. Uh, that's right. <laughs> but I'm kind of wondering, like, what does it mean to sit under your own fig tree? A popular phrase in the Bible. Here's another one. A time to gather stones. I have no idea why you would want to gather stones. But that's in Ecclesiastes. There is a time to gather stones. Good. All right. I don't know. Again, it's, it's a great phrase. Don't know what it means. How about this? The judgment of fire and brimstone. I have no idea what brimstone is. I have preached that message like tons of time. Uh, you probably know what brimstone is. I think it sounds great, but I don't actually know what brimstone is. I should do a study on this. Every illustration of vines and grapes has some agricultural thing, in, and there's a ton of them. And uh, there's all these phrases that deal with vines and grapes and vineyards and things like that. I love it, but each one takes some time to dig into and to figure out exactly what that means. Another common phrase that you'll find in Scripture is this phrase, son of blank. Now, I know, you just went to a bad place, all right? But there is, uh, there's this phrase in Scripture, son of blank. And it could be, you know, son of Adam, son of, uh, son of perdition. Son, there's, there's, uh, if you do the genealogies, you'll find this phrase all over the place, right? And, and this person was the son of this person, and this person was the son of, and it'll kill you because you don't know who any of these people are. But it's simply a way for us to keep track of who these people are. The Antichrist is also, he has a phrase, he is called the son of destruction. Did you know that? Son of destruction is a Judas. Judas had a name. Jesus called him the son of something. Do you know what it was? Yes, very good. Son of perdition. 
Another word that I have no idea what it means. You know, actually, I did look it up because I don't want to. Son of perdition means he's doomed to destruction. Son of perdition. And it might be surprising to you that Jesus uses these phrases multiple times. In Matthew 23 and verse 15, Jesus uses this phrase to talk about the Pharisees and scribes. Listen to this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. You know what that word child really means, what the word there is? Son. You make him a son of hell as much as yourself. Jesus uses this phrase regularly. Now let me tell you what the, this phrase sometimes typically means. Sometimes it means identity, like we talked about. These are in the genealogies. Just so you know who this person is, they are the son of, Craig is the son of, of Daryl and you are the son of your dad or your mom or whatever. So it keeps track. It's a way to keep identity. Sometimes it means purpose. In other words, son of David. Jesus calls himself, and people call Jesus the son of David. That means purpose. It means that whoever the son of David is would be king of the Jews for all eternity. And this is why, by the way, Pilate put the sign above his head. He's mocking the fact that the Jews don't want Jesus as king and they, they, he puts a sign up above his head that says, King of the Jews. This was a reference to, this person is the son of David, and you're killing him. You've been waiting for him all this time, and now you're making me kill him. Another one is character. Sometimes it describes your character. James and John. Jesus gave them this phrase as well. Do you remember this one? Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Yes, good. See, Jesus uses this phrase all, it's not just elf, son of a nutcracker. It's not just elf. It's, it's, uh, Jesus uses this phrase all the time as well. These two guys, J James and John, were apparently hotheads at, at times, and Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. There's a biblical name for Jesus that is son of blank, and we typically go to son of God, but this phrase is used more than the son of God. Do you know what it is? Jesus refers to himself by son of blank more times than in this way than he does son of God. And do you know what he calls himself? Son of man. Son of man. And the big question is, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to call himself the son of man? After Jesus feeds the 5,000 people, you remember we just talked about the story. After he tells these people the whole Bible is written about himself, after he makes these claims to be the prophet, everybody's waiting for, Jesus lands on this phrase to make a point. And when you dig into it and you discover what this word means, it'll change your life. Take your Bibles and turn to John, if you would, John chapter 6. We are talking uh, today about Jesus calling himself the Son of Man. We're going to start in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat. And they started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Can you anticipate what the story is coming here? The, the guys are in the boat. They're going across. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. The guys go in a boat across the sea. Jesus goes up into the mountain to pray. He's just heard that John the Baptist is dead, heads cut off. And now he goes up to the mountain to pray, and he says, you guys, I just need some He, by the way, was trying to get alone time before the 5,000 people showed up. 5,000 people showed up. He puts his own agenda on hold. He feeds them. He teaches them. He sends them away. It's nighttime. He sends his disciples 
back to Galilee across the sea. And then he goes up into a mountain to pray. While he's up in the mountain to pray, a big storm comes up on the sea. You probably know this, uh, this story because a lot of the writers write about it. Let's see what John has to say about it in verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, Jesus walks on the water because the guys took the boat, right? So how else is he going to get back? Of course he's going to walk on the water, right? Verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on the land to which they were going. That's it. Three verses. Now, you know the story. What happens during this time? Remember, they're in the sea, and Jesus walks on the water. One writer, one gospel writer says, they screamed in fear because they thought he was a ghost. One writer tells us a little bit more of what happened. Peter got all cocky, and he said, Jesus, you're walking on the water. I'd like to try that too. You remember that? That all happens here, not John. John doesn't cover any of that. These guys think they're going to drown. They're so fearful. John says, that's not important. I've got something more important I want you to see in my gospel. I love this about John because John writes about 50 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is writing to basically Europeans. He's writing to all of the churches that are starting to get set up. He's writing to all of the churches that are mentioned in the New Testament. And he's giving them a different picture of God than they have from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about Jesus, and they said, listen, you've got to know, this guy's God. This guy can do amazing things. He's got, this guy does miracles. This, Jesus is God. John starts talking to people, setting up the churches, worshiping Jesus, but forgetting that he's human too. And so John wants to balance out and remind us that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And so in John's gospel, when he covers this, he's not interested in the whole, how did Jesus walk on the water? Peter started drowning. Peter better have more faith. He's not interested in any of that. What he's interested in getting us to see is that there is something unique about Jesus in that, yes, he is God, he walks on water. But more than that, there's a part of Jesus that we need to see that is essential. Who is Jesus? So he invites us into this event, but only briefly, because he wants us to hear the conversation that happens afterward. And here's where we pick it up in verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, this is, this is like in the morning now, they wake up, they're all sacked out there hoping to get a morning service from Jesus, but he's gone, the disciples have rowed back over, and they're going, where, where's Jesus? So remember, they just tried to make him king. Do you, do you remember this? If you, if you don't, you track with us the last couple of services, but they, they almost, well, they did. They tried to force him to be king, to go around the cross, and they wanted him to be their king, king of the Jews now. Jesus made his way. He, he turned him down flat. So they go to sleep. They wake up. Disciples are gone. Jesus is gone. When the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum. What does the next two words say, church? He turned them down. He said, I'm not going to be king. You ate your, your fill. I gave you food. Why are they still seeking Jesus? Interesting. 
And not only that, but if you read further in here, I didn't put it in here because I want to zip through and get to the, the meaty part of this. They don't even walk around. They, they take, they, there must have been some communal boats that they jumped in because they all rode back across. It was the fastest way to get across. Still seeking Jesus. I think what they wanted was more free food. He's not going to be our king, but he can still give us food. He's not going to be our king, but he, we can still rub the magic genie and get what, 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 what we need from him. They had just tried to force him to, to be king. He turned them down flat, but they're not going to take no for an answer. So they seek him again. Verse 28, uh, 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, this is key, church. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because why, church? Because you came to a free restaurant. Because I gave you a, a free buffet. <laughs> it's, it's like they, they all took their purses up to the buffet and they started shoving stuff in there for later, just for later. These loaves were meant to be a sign. They were meant to be a sign that Jesus was who he said he was. But all they saw was their bellies getting full. All they felt was the hunger going away. And all they wanted was more of the same. This is a rebuke of their materialistic motivation and their lack of spiritual perception. They saw the signs that point to Jesus as God. They want to make him king. They're not willing to listen to him. Remember, he's the prophet. Listen to me. They're not willing. They want him to listen to them. And when he leaves, they chase him down because they still want stuff. They were seeking him for their own purposes. Verse 27. Jesus clears it up for them. He says, listen, don't work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which, and here you have it, what is the phrase he uses here, which the, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, as you're reading through this, you could just glance at this and keep on moving. There's so much here. Jesus is rebuking their need for the king that they want. And he's saying, you got to realize, I'm the king you need. Jesus pulls this incredible title out of the past, and they all know what it means. But to us, John writes to us and makes sure that we understand, whoever the Son of Man is, God has set his seal on the Son of Man. You put your seal on something you trust. You put your seal on something you don't want open because you want it to be read and seen exactly as you meant. You close the envelope, you put whatever's inside, a document, a will, a trust, whatever it is, you put it inside, you put the seal on because you don't want people messing with what's inside. The seal means whatever's inside is genuine, full force from your hand. God has set his seal on Jesus, the Son of Man. You can't mess around with what Jesus says. In fact, this is why Jesus uses food as a metaphor. Food that perishes is a direct reference to Moses. The food that perishes was the manna, the what is it that fell from heaven. They had to gather it up and they ate it, and if it lasted till the morning, it would disappear. Jesus said, I'm going to give you food that lasts forever. If you listen to these words of mine, if you if you understand who I am, and if you follow me, you will be guaranteed to have eternal life. The Son of Man is a phrase they knew. 
They knew that whoever this person is, they should be seeking him, and he would be their way to get eternal life. Remember, son of blank is a way to identify somebody's purpose, identity, or character. Bin Laden. You remember Bin Laden? Do you know that means the son of Laden? We are used to this phrase on a regular basis. We even use it in our culture when, when we don't like somebody, right? Fill in the blank. Elf, son of a nutcracker. Jesus uses son of man in this specific way to give himself a true identity, the seal of God about his true identity inside that cannot be changed. Jesus is the antithesis of Superman. You ever, you ever, I'm not talking about the new Superman, although I really do like him. He's pretty buff. Reminds me of me, but uh, this is a Superman from long ago. You remember the Superman from long ago? The Superman from long ago, it was like Clark Kent, and, and what was his big disguise? Glasses. <laughs> yeah, when he put the glasses on, it was like, I don't even know who you are. But, but he would frame him, like he would put the glasses on, or he would act all meek and mild, and then when he put the suit on, he was a, you know, he's Superman. Superman did what he could to hide his identity, and apparently everybody was fooled by it. Jesus, on the other hand, does exactly the opposite. Jesus looked like an everyday Joe. Jesus looked like everybody that you would normally pass by in the grocery store or at a restaurant or at your job. And Jesus went out of his way to tell people who he was. He did things to show his identity. He did miracles. He cast out demons. He healed the, the sick. You remember all this? Jesus is constant. He's like the antithesis of Superman. He's going, hey, come on, see me now. Superman's like hiding his identity. Jesus is laying it all out there. He even says, listen, the Bible is talking about me. I want to clear this up for you. Everything's about me. If you, you think you're, you're talking to God. I mean, he goes out of his way, and people are going around going, I don't know who you are. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't get it. And it's like you're reading it, and you're thinking to yourself, how can you not? He, he healed the lame. He fed you with, with you remember the, the little cracker and cheese thing I had up here? He fed 5,000 people with that, sardines and a couple of muffins. Jesus did all these things so that people could see, hey, this is the Son of God. This is God incarnate. This is not a normal human being. He raised the dead. Lazarus pulled him right out of the grave. And people are going, yeah, no, I don't believe it. And I'm thinking to myself when I'm reading the Bible, are they stupid? Don't, Don't you think the same thing? How much more does he have to do in order to break through their blindness? In this case, he gives himself a title, a title they all know. From the Old Testament, they've all talked about it. The Son of Man would be the one God sends who has supreme authority. Listen to this. This is out of Daniel 7. He gives them another clue as to who he really is, calls himself this title. Daniel 7.13 says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. This is written 700 years before Jesus ever comes on uh, on, on the scene. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. There's the title. And he came to the Ancient of Days. That's the Father, God the Father, and was presented 
before he walked into God's presence. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, every language around the planet will serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. These people knew that was talking about the Son of Man. When the Son of Man showed up, whoever this was, the title, this person, would be the one that Daniel spoke of would be the, the ultimate. This person walked in the presence of the Father. The Ancient of Days said, you know what? All my glory goes to you. They had no idea who they were looking for. They had, they had no idea what this person would look like. They just knew he was coming, and they knew it wasn't Jesus. Jesus pulls this, this familiar title out of the bag that all of these Jews knew about, all of them were waiting for. Daniel prophesied about it. Ezekiel prophesied about it. The, he pulls this name out, and he uses it for himself. They knew they were looking for some sort of a human figure who would write whatever sin had broken. The sons of human beings brought chaos and destruction to the world, but the Son of Man... This son of man that would be from the very presence of the Father, this son of man would, would bring physical rightness to the cosmos. He would fix it all. Adam's sons busted everything. The son of man, God's chosen, would fix it. Someday. Daniel 7 says the son of man would show up in the future. And I just wrote some things down just in case I went through them too fast. Here they are. The son of man speaks for the ancient of days. The Son of Man had authority or dominion given to him by the Ancient of Days. The Son of Man was given glory by the Ancient of Days. The Son of Man would be served by all languages, all tongues, all peoples, and all nations. And the Son of Man would establish a kingdom that would never be destroyed. Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that you've all heard about, you've all learned about. Daniel talked about it. Ezekiel talked about it. I am the Son of Man. Adam's sons broke creation. Mary's incarnate son would restore it. Basically, the Son of Man is God's choice for a permanent and only king. Kings in this day got to do whatever they wanted. And all their subjects had to do what the king wanted to do. Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man, the king that you have been promised. Now, here's the irony, church. They just tried to make him king. Remember this? They tried to force him to be king. But he's not the king that they wanted. He said no. So, they say, okay, you're not going to be the king like we want you to be king. So they change their language around a little bit. They say, okay, you won't do what we want you to do, so what do we have to do to get on the same page as you so that we can fight this battle together? so that you like us, so that we can, we can kind of be on the, on the same team. Verse 28. They said to him, okay, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Church, this is it. This is the work. You want to know what you can do to get on God's team? You want to know what you can do to get on the same page as Jesus? Here it is. 
This is a work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. There's one work of God, and that is to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do any other works to impress God. They need to put their trust in the one the Father has sent. They need to believe that Jesus is God's sent Savior. He is the Son of God, and he came from Mary. He is the Son of Man, incarnate in the flesh. Jesus is literally saying, I am God's promised one standing before you. I am the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. I, I am, listen, the only work you need to do is believe I am who I say that I am. Do you know the qualifications to getting on God's team have never changed? I'm really grateful for that. And some of us need to hear this on a regular basis. There is nothing that you can do to impress God. There's no amount of sin you can get up, give up, where God will finally say, okay, fine, now you're good enough, let's bring you into the fold. We all come to God broken, and God restores us, not ourselves. And the way that process starts is we start believing Jesus is who he says that he is. Simple. Sounds simple. Because Jesus goes out of his way to pull off the Superman cape and get us to see, listen, I am the son of man, the one you've been waiting for, the king that, that you have been promised. I'm it. And yet some of us refuse still to acknowledge Jesus is who he says that he is. So they said to him, here's how it ends. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? I'm really interested to know if I've done a good job laying the table here because what I'm going to ask you now is, how does this verse make you feel? Read again. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? How does that verse make you feel, church? Upset? Any others? Con yeah, confused? I read it and I get really depressed because all I see are people that stuff themselves on muffins and sardines, probably 20,000 people still digesting miracle food that get told why Jesus did the miracle and say, eh, we need more. Give us more. Church, I would just ask you, what more does Jesus have to do to convince us that he is who he says he is? There's a verse in the Bible that says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Do you know what that means? God's blessings fall on the righteous, on the unrighteous, and everybody in between. Churchgoers, non-churchgoers, agnostics, atheists, Islam. The rain falls from God. The blessings fall on every person on the planet. Putin. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The question is not, has God been good to us? The question is, how much more does he have to do for you? 
we're just like those people in the passage. We go, I'll believe that Jesus is who he says he is once he does blank. How much more does he have to do? Their answer was, eh, a little more. Give us more, and then we'll believe. The book of Ezekiel uses the Son of Man 93 times to refer to the prophet they were supposed to be waiting for. I want you to know this too. Jesus uses this phrase to refer to himself more than he uses Son of God. This phrase, Son of Man. Everyone knew this meaning. And this is the phrase, this is the title that got Jesus killed. That's how much they valued this phrase. Son of man was only reserved for the one that God put his seal on, his sign on. And when the envelope was opened and we pulled out Jesus, some people went, whoa, I never expected that. (laughs) Some people said, I don't like that. Some people said, Yeah, I need that. And when it came to Jesus' trial, this is the phrase, this is the title that got him killed. Matthew 26, 63. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the church the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. If you didn't see it there, they sure did. Because you know what their reaction is? Verse 65, then the high priest tore his robes off himself and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. He said, listen, high priest, you are talking to David, son of man, who has all authority given to him by the ancient of days. He will unite all people. He will set up a kingdom that will never end, and he will be the sealed promise of God. You're looking at him. And that was enough to get him killed. By the way, this means if Jesus is the son of man, he has supreme authority as king over all he has made. And that includes you and me. If Jesus is the king, the son of man, promised to us that we unite all peoples, nations, and languages whose kingdom would never end, that means that this king has all of us created by him as his subjects. Again, you may not like it. Open the envelope. See what's inside but it doesn't change the truth of it. So the first so what I have is this. What more does God have to do for you? Jesus has taken off his mask. He's taken his glasses off. (laughs) Oh, the glasses fooled me. What more does God have to do to convince you that Jesus is your king? One more miracle. One more verse. One more blessing in my life. One more question I need answered. One more whatever it is. There'll never be one more. There'll just be more and more and more. Behind all these demands is one simple truth. We don't like the authority that this king has over our lives. How many of you like to be told what to do? Come on, put your hands up because I know somebody in here likes to be told 
what to some of the teenagers. Yeah, teenagers love to be told what to do. <laughs> Nobody likes to be told what to do, right? This is in our nature. And if we have a king, he gets to tell us what to do. The Son of Man has that authority hands down. Someone has that, by the way, somebody has that place of authority in your life already. You may try and convince yourself you are an independent island and you shall not be shaken. Somebody has an authority over you. It could be a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. could be job. could be money. could be pleasure, self-gratification. could just be you. Somebody has that place of authority in your life. Somebody, something dictates what you spend your time doing, where you sacrifice in order to go. Somebody is in that place already. It's just that place should be reserved for Jesus Christ. And if anything else fits there, it will most certainly let you down. God has gone to incredible lengths to show us Jesus is our king. He has done so much to unmask the truth before us. I could give you a litany of things. The Bible, the fact that it has, has ultimate truth that has never been found to be false. After all these years, there's no contradictions. 66 books written by 50, let me get this straight here. 66 books written by 35 different authors, three different continents over 2,000 years, and not one contradiction. Try and write a letter today and then write a letter 50 years from now and see if you contradict yourself. This book was written, 66 books by different authors, no contradictions, never a contradiction. Preserve the Bible for us. Good grief, he gave us Jesus. Just in case you don't get who God is from reading it, here's a living example. Look at Jesus, WWJD. Follow an example. Just because I know you're all knuckle-draggers, I wrote the Bible. It's right there for you, but you even messed that up. So here's a living example. I'll give them to you for 33 years. Do what he does. How about the proof in your own life? Who do we cry out to when we're really broken? We cry out to God, don't we? Deep down in our hearts, we know that there's a God. Every atheist there's no atheists in foxholes. Jesus is our king with every authority over our lives. When we finally bend the knee to him, we begin to, begin to realize what we've been missing. And we realize how much more, we realize more how much God has already given to us. Romans 8.32, I love this verse. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously with him, along with him, give us all things? You worried about tomorrow? Don't worry about it. God gave you his son. How much more will he not all give, also give you all things? Number two, Jesus is the king you need, but maybe not the one you want. These people are still seeking Jesus. It sounds good. Sounds good to seek Jesus, but it wasn't seeking them for who Jesus was. It was seeking a king they wanted. You might prefer a different kind of king. The question is, what kind of king over your life are you looking for? What kind of king are you looking for? One that gives you more bread? 
one that says what you want to hear. <laughs> you can go to a lot of different churches and finally find one that says exactly what you want to hear. They're, they're out there. Or you can find one that says what God says. You, you can elect a politician that says what you want to hear. I think that's how they make their money. Or you can elect somebody that has morals and hopefully will, will actually follow through. The world is full of people that are willing to itch your itching, scratch your itching ears. What kind of king are you looking for? One that shows up when you need him and goes away when you prefer he wasn't around? One that gets, that you get to visit when you want to, but rather he didn't visit you in your private time. People look for the perfect king for their lives all the time. We call this the hole in our heart that we're trying to fill with all these different things. We find pieces of life to fill the holes in our heart. We find people to bring ourselves more meaning and, and quickly give us these these these. These temporary fixes, we find temporary joy that helps us to be happier. For a little while longer, we find philosophies that seem to promise deeper meaning but only end up letting us down. We look and we look and we look and we look and we look. We want somebody to have this place of authority over our lives. But these are all temporary, and our choice of kings only makes more spaces for human brokenness to be worked out, talked out, shared in safe spaces. But at the end of the day, they just keep us swimming in our brokenness. Jesus came to give us answers, not more questions. Jesus came to walk us through our brokenness and find healing, not to revel in it. The Word of God is meant to fix what sin broke in us. The question is, will you listen to the King? He's telling you the truth. What do you need to surrender? I don't want to give that up, Craig. It's filling a hole in my heart. Yeah, then why do you keep running back to it? How do you feel when you keep doing it? Craig, I can't give up this friendship. It's like, it's like a, a quality friendship. I've, I've nurtured it for years, and, and I know it's not good for me, but I can't give it up. Is the Holy Spirit of God telling you, you've got to give up this friendship? It's killing you. The question is, what kind of a king do you want? It may not be the king you think you need. Jesus is who he is. He is God's provision for our deepest longings. You can bend the knee to this king, or continue to find your hopes and dreams that something better will soon arrive. We live in a world that are just always waiting for something better to come along. Church, the best has already been here. The offer is as good as it gets. If you bend the knee to the king, the son of man promised to us, who will be our king, the authority over our lives, you will find a fulfillment that you cannot find in this world. Jesus calls it life abundant. And even better than that, when you die, you get eternal life thrown in. That's pretty good. What more does he have to do? You know what people heard when they heard Jesus claim to be the Son of Man? John got a vision of Jesus in the end times in the book of Revelation. He got a vision of this ultimate authority figure, and he calls him the Son of Man. Look in Roman, uh, Revelation 1.12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands was like, one like the Son of what church? One like the Son of Man, not the Son of God. The 
Son of Man, all authority, the King of the planet, the one that would unite all nations, tribes, and languages, the one that would be the supreme authority, the one who was given the glory that came from the Ancient of Days, the one that was, was promoted and, and sealed, put in an envelope to be revealed at the right time. Ta-ta-ta-ta, this is Jesus. This is him. What more do you have to see to see that it's him? One like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. I'd love to hear that voice, wouldn't you? You will someday. The roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. You ever look at the sun? Painful, right? Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, John says, as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, and if you're wondering who this is, he clears it up for us. He takes the suit off. The glasses are gone. I'm telling you, this is who I am. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Any question in your mind who this person is? Jesus Christ. And by the way, on his belt is hanging the keys of death. If you die and you can't get out of that prison, it'd be nice to know somebody who had the keys, wouldn't you say? Jesus, the Son of Man, has the authority to unlock your prison cell. All the authority from God the Father. He alone has a seal of God on his identity. He has a dominion to rule over the entire cosmos. He alone can truly unite every tongue, people, and language. And he alone gets the glory from the victory that comes from all of it. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the Son of Man. This is our King, promised, who will unite this, this failing world once and for all. Jesus is the only hope. The only hope. I hope that you have seen him this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I'm grateful for our time together this morning and the opportunity to look into this phrase, the Son of Man. It's amazing to me how these three little words hold such meaning for us, referring to you as this great king to whom we can come and have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with. I pray, Father, that you continue to grow your kingdom, even in the choices we're making over the summer to join with another church. May, may all of this just culminate in the fact that we're able to pry open the doors a little wider and maybe rescue a few more from Carroll Street. May you use us, Father, in the way that you need to use us so that your kingdom can grow, your people can be more faithful, and your church can be more powerful, a light in the darkness. I pray in Jesus' name.